and we have come to worship him. Good morning and welcome to Grace Church. I would like to ask you to give a special uh, hand to the orchestra. Oh my gosh, how well they did. Amen. They put a lot of work into that. And you think that's good. Wait till you come out on Christmas Eve. That's just a glimpse of all that will be going on on that night. So what we have done is we have come to worship. And this is what we call our worship service. And that summarizes very well why we're here. Uh, worship is nothing more than the response of our heart to who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us. And the response that comes from our heart is our service or our homage to him. And that's really what this series, this Christmas series, is about. It is the different expressions of worship that we can offer to the person of Jesus Christ. So when we were together uh, last week, we talked about this whole idea of lifting up our hands. Now, some of you found that to be a little nerve-wracking, a little difficult, the thought of lifting up my hands. But we saw it was a very biblical response to who God is. Uh, we saw that we can lift up our hands in praise. We can lift up holy hands in prayer, men. And we also talked about how we can lift our, holy, our hands up in power as we surrender and have victory in him. So we've looked at that as one of the expressions of worship that we can have. Next week when we are together, we're going to talk about the idea of pouring out our heart. From the very core of our being, we want our expression to be as deep and as pure as it can be. Next week we will look at that response to who Christ is and what he has done. Again, on Christmas Eve, we are going to talk about this idea to bend the knee. Bend your knee. And Dennis has already alluded to the fact that we have some of these wonderful invitations printed up for you. And I want to encourage you that if you have a friend or a neighbor, how many have a friend? How many have a neighbor? Yeah, 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 we all got those. What a great opportunity to connect them. Christmas Eve is going to be grand. It's going to be joyous. It is going to be an evening. So it is our worship for Christmas this year, our, our Sunday worship. We're going to do it on Saturday night. And, and so this worship service, our first service worship, will actually correspond to the 8 o'clock hour on Christmas Eve. And again, we will have the, the whole orchestra here with the band, and we will have the choir over here. We'll have all the bells out here, and I will have my wee podium in the middle right here because that's all the room that's left. And, and it's going to be a great night, and we will end it by lighting candles. So I want to encourage you to connect family and loved ones to that night. We're going to add a whole bunch more chairs to our auditorium uh, just so there can be plenty of seating for everybody to enjoy that night. So please, grab one of these. Make full use of them. I hate to print stuff and not use it. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's like a waste. But if you take it and use it, I feel much better. So make me feel better, would you? Thank you. So we're going to be doing that today. As we talk about an appropriate response to who Jesus Christ is and what he has done for us, today we're going to talk about um, come to worship, and as we do so, we will bring our gifts. Bring our gifts. Now, last week made some people unnerved about lifting up your hands, and we prayed for you just before we started the service. Um, I'm going to pray for those of you who right now are quite anxious about the thought of bringing your gifts. 
So let's pause for a second and let's pray together and then we're going to jump into the scripture and consider this truth together this morning. Would you please pray with me? Father in heaven, thank you again for this beautiful season. Thank you that we get to enjoy the season with all its trimmings and all its beauty. And even today, we get a little bit of the, the beautiful weather that we associate with Christmas. Father, thank you that Jesus is the reason. Thank you that we get the chance today to consider again just how special this one is. And I pray that as we walk into the truth before us today, that you would open our hearts from the depths of our being, cause the response of our hearts to be, to bring gifts, to bring gifts to him who is so worthy. Thank you, Father. Hear our prayer, I pray, in Jesus' name. And God's people said? Amen. Amen. If you have your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to take them and join me today in Matthew chapter 2, one of the great tellings of the Christmas story. Matthew chapter 2, as we consider together the idea of bringing your gifts to worship the Christ. Again, because of who Jesus is and what he has done for you, a very natural response of your heart should be to bring your gifts to him. So what I'm going to do in the next few moments is I'm going to walk us through Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. I'm going to read it, and my goal is to bring comprehension as I read. And then when I'm done reading that, we're then going to transition over and see how it's meant to apply to us. So Matthew chapter 2 and verse 1 begins like this. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, that's an important statement, because Bethlehem is the ancestral home of King David. And there was a predicted king to come who would fulfill the Davidic line. Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea. In the days of Herod the king, we'll talk more about Herod in just a moment. When behold, the idea is out of nowhere, unexpectedly, wise men, now, we're not exactly sure who these wise men are. Uh, it is very likely that they were very wealthy noblemen priests from an area in Persia or modern-day Iran. And so these, these priests, who were known as astrologers and astronomers as well as religious men, because religion and science went hand-in-hand in, hand in those days. Science and religion went hand-in-hand in, hand in those days. So these wise men... These very rich noblemen from Persia, 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 there we go, came from the east, again, from Persia to where? Do you have any idea how far that is? Yeah, it's a long way. Good, well said, yeah. It's about guesstimation 900 miles through some of the most God-forsaken territory on earth, deserts and rocks and hills. It's nasty. It's just nasty. And so when we think of the wise men, we think of three guys on three camels, right? That's not the scene that's going on here. We don't know exactly how many wise men there are. You know, it's the plural. And we've always assumed because there are three gifts, there were three wise men. But it's very likely that it was larger than that. There were probably more than that. And if you're a wealthy nobleman and you're traveling 900 miles against, across inhospitable territory, you're going to have an amazing entourage with you. You know, you're going to have people with you who are going to cook for you and clean for you and make sure you're safe and all this stuff. So this arriving in Jerusalem was not just like three guys saying, oh, where's Jesus? 
this was an amazing a lot of people and they had come an amazing journey and they were regal and they were rich and they were powerful so they came into Jerusalem and they had a question where is he who has been born notice they knew who he was meant to be the king of the Jews for we saw his star when it rose and we have say it with me come to worship him that is the theme of our series this Christmas comes right from there okay continue on Matthew chapter 2 and verse 3 it says and when Herod the king heard this he was troubled uh, he was dismayed he was shocked he was alarmed you see he was the king of the Jews he had been crowned such by Caesar Augustus. He had been given the right to be called the king of the Jews. Now all these very, very wealthy noblemen from a far country come with their huge entourage, and their question is, where is he? What do you mean? He's just been born. I'm king of the Jews. So he was slightly alarmed by this kind of coming and this going on. Now, at this point in Herod's life, what you need to understand is that he was a very old man. He was the end of his life, and he was now very diseased of body and of mind. Herod was always one to suffer from paranoia, but it got worse as his body deteriorated and as he got older. In fact, by his actions... Uh, Herod put to death a number of his own sons because he thought that they were seeking to take his throne from him. So he was not a good dad, okay? That's kind of the guy Herod was. In fact, it was said in Jerusalem in those days, it was better to be Herod's pig than his son. It was just a really risky thing to be his son because he was so paranoid. He even put to death his favorite wife, and it plagued him the rest of his life. So this was a very old, very senile, mentally ill man. And it says this, he was troubled. And what's it go on to say after that? And all, yeah, because if the king ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. And so this is what's going on. This is the scenario that's playing out. And so this is what Herod did. Herod then assembled all the chief priests and the scribes of the people. What he did was he called together all the lawyers and the legal people who understood the law, the law of God, and he had a question for them. Where is the Christ to be born? And they told him, in Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet Micah, in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2, these words, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means the least among the rulers in Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. And so, it continues, Then Herod summoned the wise men, these very wealthy uh, foreigners, secretly, and he ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. Why did he do that? He wanted to know how old his rival was. He wanted to know exactly where this came from, exactly what's going on. He's, he's kind of interrogating them without them knowing. He's trying to get information. Now, this would actually play a role in the death of the innocents in Bethlehem. He had them all killed from two years and under. Why? This information helped him. And so he asked them, when did this happen? And then he sent them to Bethlehem saying this, go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word so that I too may come and worship him. Do you know what that's called? A lie. That is a lie. 
He didn't want to worship him. He wanted to kill his rival. That is exactly what's going on. Now, what I don't get about this is Bethlehem is five miles as the crow flies from Jerusalem. Five miles. And yet, rather than investigate it himself, he actually sent these guys away to find out where the Christ child was and then come back and let me know so I can go and deal with him. Why he didn't send people with him, I don't know. It says this, and after listening to the king, they went on their way, the wise men did, and behold, the star that, had, that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. So we're not sure exactly if the star disappeared for a while, hence they found themselves in Jerusalem rather than Bethlehem, uh, because where else would you find a king but the capital? So their assumption may have been that he was in Jerusalem. So for some reason, it seems like the star disappeared for a while, and they went to Jerusalem. I think this is part of God's plan. And then after they had met with Herod and got him all riled up, God allowed the star to be seen again. So I don't think it was necessarily a natural phenomenon. It was probably more likely a supernatural uh, phenomenon. And this gets to where we're going today. It says this, and when they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and notice how they worshiped. They fell down. We're going to look at that part right there on Christmas Eve. And then they worshiped him, and they did so in opening their treasures, and they offered to him, Jesus the Christ, gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. This is where we're going to focus in the next few minutes. I love how this is expressed. I love how it shows their act of worship for the person of Jesus Christ. And I love the way verse 10 reads. Notice with me. It says, and when they saw the star, notice it says, they rejoiced exceedingly with what? Oh my gosh. What you have here in the original language is you have four superlatives that are kind of piled on one another in order to try to give you a sense of just how ecstatic these guys were to see the star reappear. In fact, if you were to take the words literally in the original language, it would read like this. It is to rejoice with joy, great and exceeding. Oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's over the top. It's incredible. Oh my, oh, wow. I was trying to think of a modern-day correlation that kind of captures, I think, the excitement that they felt when they saw the star. And the best I could come up with is this. Here's the 0-1. This is going to be a tough play. And I guess you could say, and the Cubby fans rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. Why? Because they waited 108 years for this long-expected win. And when it finally came, they were overjoyed. So the wise men rejoiced with exceeding great joy when they saw the star, not because of the star but because of what the star represented, the coming of the long-expected Jesus, 
born to set his people free, free from fears and sins to release us. Let us find our rest in thee. Israel's strength and consolation, hope of all the earth you are, the dear desire of every nation, the joy of every longing heart. This is the wise men. The Messiah has come. The Savior of the world has come. The long-awaited promised one who would crush the serpent's head, serpent's head to deliver us from our sin. He's come. Wow! Yeah, the star is up there. Woohoo. They were excited. They were excited. And their excitement ultimately caused them to want to give to Jesus the best of the gifts that they had. What is the first gift that they gave to Jesus? Gold. Now, gold is the gift of kings. And so they worshipped him as the promised Davidic king. Today, we know Jesus to be the king of kings. What was the second gift they brought? Frankincense. This is an expensive incense used in the temple by the priests. And so they came to worship Jesus as God's priest. The one who, a priest is one who uh, uh, serves God's people before the Lord. And today we know Jesus Christ is the great high priest who has finished his work and sat down at the right hand of the throne on high. And then they brought what? Myrrh. This is an aromatic resin used for burials. And it is very likely they came to worship the prophet. The prophet. This is the one who would be like Moses and he would deliver his people from bondage only to release them from bondage of sin this time. He would have to deliver us by his death. So I want you to notice the wise men. I want you to notice how they worshipped. They worshipped the Christ joyfully and generously as they lavished Jesus, the prophet, the priest, the king, with the best of their gifts. That's the story. Now, the transition to us is this. Why did you come here today? I, 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 so, so, so you came here today to worship Jesus Christ. Did I get that right? I mean, that's why you're here this morning, correct? All right, so what we need to do is some of us need to begin by understanding that we need to let our face know that. Yeah, yep. Some of you claim to know Jesus, and you look like you have been baptized in pickle juice. You just carry this grump with you everywhere you go. You are aware that the fruit of the Spirit is not grumpy, unforgiving, harsh, demanding, negative, quick-tempered, fault-finding, gossipy, and being judgmental, right? Did you know that? That's not the fruit of the Spirit? All right, now say it with me. The fruit of the Spirit is... Love and joy. I just want to squeeze those cheeks. You can pull this off when you're a few months old or when you're at the latter end of life. I don't know. Either way, just so happy. Friends, if you're here today and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you should be the happiest person on earth. We should be the most joyful people that anyone has ever met. He has forgiven us our sins. He has given us his righteousness. God in heaven has adopted us to be his children, and we're going to spend forever with him. 
If you're here to worship Jesus, some of you need to let your faces know that. Because if you really understand who he is and why he came, you should be joyful. You just should be. I, I think of the words of Jesus. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is what? It's marginal. It's eh. No, it's great. And it actually is in the context of persecution he's talking here. Really, even when it gets hard, we should be joyful. You got it. You got it. Again, Jesus put these words. Uh, and these things I have spoken to you, that my joy, Jesus says, my joy, the joy that I possess, I'm going to give it to you. It's going to be in you. That your joy may be, eh. Is that what I said? No, that your joy would be over the top, full, full, full. Did you come here to worship Jesus today? Some of y'all need to tell your face that, okay? You really do, you really do. Again, uh, I love what Peter says here. This is good. Though you have not seen Jesus yet, you love him. Though you do not see him yet, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. Amen? Amen. This should be the child of God. We should be joyful. Our faces should witness the reality of who he is. Again, uh, the Apostle Paul, just for, for good effect, said this. Rejoice how often? And if I go to Philippians uh, chapter 4 and verse 4, and again I say rejoice. Always. Always, yes. It doesn't really meant to stop. So our lives are meant to be characterized with abounding joy, with great joy. If you have come to worship Jesus today, please tell your face. But don't just tell your face. I would also like you today to tell your wallet. Pastor Bill, how dare you? It's Christmas season. Pastor Bill, how dare you? Do you not know that I've taken the time to invite a friend? Don't you know that I've taken the time to include a family member? Don't you know that today I've invited my neighbor? And you're talking about giving! Yeah, yeah. You know why? Because I'm talking about the gospel. The gospel is all about giving. For God so loved he, Jesus Christ gave his life. So the whole gospel, the Christmas season, is all about giving. And when somebody embraces God's eternal gift of, of eternal life found in the person of Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ enters into that life and brings joy and generosity into that life. So giving is a very big part of the gospel. Amen? It is meant to be. It is meant to be. I love the way the Apostle Paul put it. This is what he said in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 in a section that he talks about, I would like you to pull together a gift to go to the church in Jerusalem because they're going through a very hard time. We'll talk a little bit more about this in a minute. But notice what he says. This is the point. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he decides in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves what? God loves a cheerful giver. The word cheerful in the original language is the word uh, hilaros. Let me say that one more time. Maybe you'll pick up on it. Hilaros. It is the word we get hilarious from. God loves a joyfully hilarious giver. 
That's what God loves. Why? Put it together. Put it together. God loves this. Why? Because it shows the reality of the transformation of a heart. We are by nature selfish. We are by nature, uh, we want to keep everything to ourselves. But when God enters into a life, one of the clear indications of new birth is we have a new heart. And that heart becomes joyfully generous. So God loves a cheerful giver because it's a clear indication there's been transformation of life. You know, right now I'm looking around and I see some very hilarious people. You know why they're so happy, they're so excited? It's because Pastor Bill's preaching on giving. Yeah, some of you love this. Some of you live for this because you know what it has done in your own life. You have witnessed the transformational power of being obedient to God and giving back to God that which he has blessed you with. And your lives are radically different as a result of that. Isn't that true? Oh, man, preach your Pastor Bill, some of you want to say. And others are you sitting there thinking, oh, gosh, would you just hurry up and shut up? Hilarious, hilarious, generous, joyful, joyful people. Did you know that the word miserable, miserable comes from the root word miser? There is a lot of truth in that. If you live in this small little world of self, and it's all about you and what you want to do and what you have planned, it's about me, 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 you will be miserable. But when Jesus Christ enters in, he explodes your heart with grace, and he teaches you the beauty of grace-giving, and you start to live a life of joyful generosity, and it radically changes who you are. I love uh, the way uh, a pastor uh, down in Dallas, Texas put this. And I think it's very helpful. He said this, if you summarize the Bible in the simplest sentence possible, it could be God gives. He gave us his son, Jesus gave us his life. And we are made in his image to be givers. When we're born, with, uh, we're born with a nature that wants to take. And we're born with a nature to want to protect. But when we're born again, we're born with a different nature, the nature of giving. We just have to learn to do it. I like that last statement. You know what? Learning to be a joyful, generous believer is a journey. It doesn't happen immediately, but it is a journey. It's a growth process. As you grow in grace, you will grow in the grace of giving. And so God helps us in this process to understand how we can give and how do we make this real. And it's so hard because I'm coming from a place of, of, of selfishness and isolation into a new life. And how do I really develop this? Well, I, I want to share with you the tool that God uses in many lives to help set them free from themselves. And it is a tool that is found in the Older Testament and it is a tool that is often referred to as something called the tithe. The tithe. Now, the tithe was incumbent upon Israel. The tithe was commanded of Israel. Uh, the question is, is that true today? Let, let's not even go there. But the reality is the tithe is still a wonderful way to grow and understand how to become a generous, joyful follower of God. The tithe, the word tithe simply means 10% or one-tenth. I love what Randy, uh, Randy Alcorn says. 
in his wonderful, wonderful book on giving and possessions. He says this. He said, the tithe is the biblical foundation, the cornerstone of stewardship. It is not the whole superstructure of stewardship, far from it. It is not the ceiling of giving, but merely the floor of giving. But it is for many people the single most fund fundamental step in the transformation of your attitude and your actions concerning money and possessions. And there were a number of people here today that would say amen. Because they discovered through this tool how to become a generous and joyful person. If you will, the tithe is God's, if you will, training wheels for giving. It's hard to ride a bike. Do you remember the first time you rode a bike? Do you remember? I do. Ow, it hurt. I went out and I tried to ride my parents. Okay, let me tell you about my first bike. My first bike was this thing they found at a junkyard. Seriously, it's time for Bill to have a bike, so let's go to the junkyard and get him one. So we went to the junkyard, they got me a bike. They spray painted the fenders gold. The wheels, the, the tires were big and fat and soft. And they said, here you go. Hey, thanks. And I started to, to learn to ride, and it was very awkward and really bad. And I still remember going down the one hill the first time, and I couldn't turn it fast enough because I was still unskilled, and I rammed it right into the side of a car, my thumb between the handlebars and the car, and I got up and I was crying. <laughs> I hate riding bikes. Some of you, I hate giving. It's because you haven't become skilled yet. You, you hang in there. Put some training wheels on. Pick up some speed. Learn to get uh, uh, some confidence. And you're going to discover how well you can really ride. This is good stuff. So let's talk about the tithe for just a minute. What does it mean? How do we use it? How was it used in the Old Testament? And what can we learn from it? So this is going to happen very quickly. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it. But I'm going to help us to appreciate and understand how the tithe is a tool that God can use in our lives even today. First of all, the tithe is simple, basic math. It is, it is, it is, and it's only 10%. It's not a hard thing to usually figure out. And stop and think about this. 10% is what God was requiring, 10%. How many of you going to a restaurant and having somebody you don't know who waits on you and gives you marginal service, you give them more than 10%. Yeah, I, you know, 15 to 20% is, is the norm, maybe more. But so God is saying, listen, no, I gave you everything. Everything you have comes from me. I'm asking for 10% back. That's not even a good tip. Think about it. Okay, so it's 10%. Simple, basic, max, straight up. Leviticus chapter 27 and verse 30 says this, one-tenth of the produce of the land whether it is grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord and must be set apart to him as holy. One-tenth, one-tenth, 10%. Okay, so the tithe is basic, simple math, 10%. Secondly, it is given off your increase. It is given off your increase. Deuteronomy 14 and verse 22 says this, and you shall truly tithe all the increase or the yield of your grain that the field produces year by year. In modern day vernacular or language, he's talking about our income. As God has blessed you through your paycheck or your dividends or through gifts, you are to give back to him 10%. And now the question becomes, Pastor Bill, is that 10% off the net or 10% off the gross? 
Well, it all depends on what kind of blessing you want. Do you want a 10% net blessing or do you want a 10% gross blessing? You see, really, stop and think about it. I, I thought this was good. One person put it this way. Give according to your income, lest God make your income according to your giving. Beware, beware. So I actually believe it should be pre-tax because I, don't, I never put the government before God. And so I always put God before the government. And so that would be my piece of wisdom on that. Basic math, giving off the increase, that which you gain uh, by God's blessing and grace. Uh, it should be given first. Given first. Exodus 23 and verse 19. Exodus 23 and verse 19 says this. The best of the first of the fruits of your ground you shall bring into the house of the Lord your God. God always demands the first and the best, never what's left. Let me say that one more time because it's catchy. God always demands the first and the best, never what's left. You see, what was left in the fields were called gleanings. And the gleanings were not for God, they were for the poor. God doesn't get the gleanings, God gets the choice, the best, the first and the best. And so, the tithe is simple, basic math. It is giving off your increase as God blesses you. It is given to be the first thing we give. Um, it is to be brought to the storehouse. It is to be given and brought to the storehouse. This comes from Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. It says, bring all your tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Prior to this, he said that you are to bring into the house of the Lord your God uh, your first fruits. So today's storehouse is the local church. It just is. It is the place where you are nourished and fed. It is the place where you break spiritual bread and you gain spiritual life. The tithe, the first 10% of the earnings that God gives to you is meant to come into the house of God for the maintenance of the local church. I met a man one time, he was actually in my congregation, I thought it was a very mature name, his name is Jim. I won't give you his last name unless he listened to this. <clears throat> Dear Jim, we were talking one day, and, you know, he's a, he's a mature man. He's been an elder in several churches, great guy, Jim, Jim, Jim. Worked for IBM, smart guy, very well-to-do. He said, yeah, you know, Pastor Bill, I give my tithe to my dad because he's trying to make an invention, and I want to encourage him. And I remember looking at him like he had two heads. I'm thinking... Where on earth do you get that concept from? The idea is that the tithe does not go to the SPCA. It doesn't go to the Cancer Society. It doesn't even go to missionaries. The tithe was meant to come to the storehouse for the local church, the, 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 the temple of God, the place of worship, to have what it needs to prosper. And so, too, with the tithe. Now, we'll talk more about how the other needs are met, but this is not where the other needs are met. This is where the needs of the house of God are met. So it is given as simple basic math. It is given off your increase. It is given as the first fruits. It is given to the storehouse, the local place where you are fed and you grow. And then it is given to, and this is the purpose, to put God first in your life. Deuteronomy 14 and verse 23 says that you may learn. We're learning here. We're growing. We're trying to understand that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. The idea to fear is not to be afraid of, but to trust him that you might learn that he is trustworthy. And then, not only to put God first in your life, 
but to prove God can ultimately be trusted with your eternal life because he can be trusted with your temporal life. Notice what it says here, Malachi chapter 3 and verse 10. God says to the prophet, to the people, Put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. What God is saying is this. Go for it. See if you can outgive me. See if I'm, if I'm not good for my word. You know why there's so many hilarious faces here this morning? Because they have learned. I love that face. Thank you. They have learned that 90% with God's blessing is far better than 100% without it. And that is true. We learn to see God work in our lives as we walk in trusting relationship with him. And one of the goals of that relationship is that we would learn to put him first in the area of our finances. Once you get there, once you get there, once you've discovered that God can be trusted, all of a sudden now, you're ready to take off the training wheels. And you're ready to feel the rush of wind in your hair and the speed of the road beneath you because now you're moving into grace giving. You've discovered God can be trusted. And so under the law, it was always, how much do I have to give? Under grace giving is, how much can I give before I run out of money? Oh God, how far can I go before you say, no, that's completely enough. That's exciting. It's not how much do I have to give. It's how much can I, can I give when I don't have any left. My wife and I have two accounts. We have our tithe that we give every, every paycheck to the local church. And then we have this account. It's called our free will money. It's the money that we use to, to give to ministries and, and people as the Holy Spirit leads us. And we have blown that account. And I'm excited to see how God's going to plus it back up. Because I know he's good for it. It's exciting to get into this realm of where you're saying, okay, God, I, I gave to things I believe you had on my heart. Now you've got to come through. And he's going to. And I can't wait to find out how. And this is the good stuff. This is where it really gets fun. This is exciting. I love the way Paul put it in, again in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, this is all about free will offerings. When he's talking about giving money to the church in Jerusalem, this was not the money that they would have given to the local assemblies uh, throughout the Mediterranean, but this was a special gift over and above that they would have given to the needs in the church in Jerusalem. He said this, but as you excel in everything, I want you to excel in your faith. I want you to excel in your speech. I want you to excel in your knowledge. I want you to excel in eagerness, in, in love for you, in our love for you. But see that you also excel in this act too, the act of giving, the act of grace. As you grow in grace, you will grow in giving. And as you grow in giving, you will grow in grace. This is an important aspect of the Christian's life. So, you have been very patient with me this morning. You have been listening to me on a Christmas message talk about giving. And some of you are sitting there thinking, yeah, I don't know much about this, and I'm not sure I really like this too much. You're like, yeah, I'm not thinking this is good. You're, you're, you're challenging my, my concept of church and worship and Jesus, and now you're getting very personal because you're talking about my money. It's interesting. Uh, I believe it was Jesus who said that where your money is, there your heart will be also. Could it be that your heart is not in the local church because your money's not here? 
just asking, just thinking. I love what Martin Luther, the great reformer, said. He said this, there are three conversions that are necessary in a person's life. There is the conversion of the heart when we repent and embrace Jesus. There is the conversion of the mind as our mind is being renewed. And there is the conversion of the what? That's right. Practically speaking, Jesus enters into your heart, he changes your thinking, and then he gets his hand in your pocket and pulls out your wallet. That's the Christian life. That is part of what it means to be a follower of Christ. You finally get to that place where you learn that God can be trusted. He can be trusted. Uh, Again, I I love the way this gentleman put it. Uh, Ralph Cushman put it this way. Worship that is empty-handed is, according to the Scriptures, simply not worship at all. You see, if you come to the house of God without an offering, the bringing of an offering to God is pictured in the Scripture as a high and inestimable part of worship. Could it be worship isn't all it should be for you because you haven't brought God a gift? You haven't brought him the first and the best. You haven't placed him first in your life and in your giving. You see, I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to start to give. I want to challenge you to move into this area of generosity. I don't know what you're giving presently. I don't know those things. I choose not to know those things. If you give nothing, I want to challenge you to give something. See if God isn't good for it. If you're a giver, but not a tither, you don't give 10%. I want to challenge you. Now's the time for you to grow in this grace. Now's the challenge for you to step in to the reality that God can be trusted in this area of your life. Maybe you're a tither, but you've been tithing on the net and not on the gross. There's a challenge for you to take that next step in your walk with God to realize he can be trusted. I don't know. I don't know. But you do. And you and God are having a conversation right now. What is next for me? Maybe you have been tithing. Maybe the challenge is to realize that not just 10% belongs to God, but 100% belongs to God. And you've you've thought you've been under the delusion that 10% is God's and 90% is mine. Now, maybe it's time now to step into free will offerings over and above challenge yourself to do that so if you do if you do mark my words there's going to be a transformation in your face because God's going to show up and he's going to shock your socks right off and you are going to realize there is something to this whole Jesus thing that I had just never seen before and it is there is it's seeing God work in your life And one of the most tangible ways he does that is through money because it means so much to us. So the challenge is to give, to give, to give, to give. Say that with me, to give, to give. Now say it like you're joyful, to give, to give. Now say it like you're joyful and generous, to give! He is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. If he is your Savior... That's how you should give. That's how we should give. There are some offering envelopes out there uh, that uh, Dennis had put together uh, this week uh, for us to give in the new year. Uh, I want to mention again that we as a church are are taking advantage of this online source of giving uh, called PushPay. 
And if today you were to take out your smartphone and message 77977 and put in the word Grace Waldorf, you would be put right to the push pay page for Grace Church. And there you can give as well. Right now, about 35 to 40% of our giving comes in through this means. And so if you're not used to giving or you're not, you're not part of that, please try this. Try this. You know what? I'm going to go out on a limb here, Dennis. Forgive me. You can, you can talk to me afterward. If you take up a challenge to give, please, Lord, help me. Do it for three months. Three months. Whatever that next step is for you, three months. And if God doesn't make it up to you, if God doesn't show up for you, you come see me, and I will see that your money is given back to you. Seriously, God says, test me in this area if I am not God. I will open up the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing on you. I'm putting God out there on a limb. And you know what? He made the limb. We're good. So you have my promise this morning that if you're willing to take up the challenge today to step out and give, whatever that means for you, the next step for you, if God doesn't show up, you come see me. And we'll have a good talk, and I will talk to Dennis, and he will cut you a check <clears throat> out of his personal finances. No, 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 no. <laughs> you say, Pastor Bill, I don't make very much, or I don't have a lot. Let me just give you this. Um, even if all we have is a little, the Lord desires us to be joyful and generous so that he will have for his church an abundance for every good work. Let us not be selfish or deceived by money. In a very real sense, money is not just a blessing, it is a test. Do we really believe God? Do we really know God? It is a test. It is a test. And I just want to say, if it doesn't work out on paper, trust him. If it doesn't work out on paper, trust him. Proverbs chapter 3, I want to give that to you to read. Proverbs chapter 3, verses 5 through 10. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Correct? You get down towards verses 9 and 10, and it's all about giving. It's connected. You see, it's not how we think. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. He's saying, trust me. Because quite frankly, we don't give by reason. We give by revelation. We trust God. I'm going to pray for us. And uh, some of you joyfully hilarious people can say, awesome message, Pastor Bill. Others of you who are not so joyful and not so hilarious right now can say, I'm never coming back to that church. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I do this message like once or twice a year. You hit the once, okay? We're not doing this next week, promise. All right, let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are real. You are not some God of make-believe, but you are the God of the universe. All things are at your disposal. And your goal is that we would know you by faith. And we cannot know you by faith unless we step out in trust. And I just pray for each one gathered here this morning that we would learn to trust you just a little bit more in this area of our lives. Move us from just being miserable misers to being joyfully generous. And the reason we're so joyful is because we got a great, big, awesome God. Thank you, Father, for this time. Use it for your glory. 
And we thank you right now for Jesus in his name. And all the people of God said, it's over with. You may leave.